Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Kylie Bartlett, I am beside myself with excitement to have you on my She's the Boss Chats podcast because you and I have been friends for quite a long time. And really, I think I would have to say to anyone who's listening, I would not know how to speak on a stage if it wasn't for you. So you have been a godsend for me right from the very beginning. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's true. I'm not, bu- I'm not bullshitting, I promise. Oh, so thanks, tell everyone um, who doesn't know you, and I'm sure there's only a few left in Australia, but there must be some, what it is that you do and what, yeah, what, what is it that you're doing these days? Okay. First? Well, like most serial entrepreneurs, we've usually got a number of balls in the air, uh, but I've decided that mm-hmm. uh, I'm concentrating on one ball at the moment, and one that's very close to my heart and I'm very passionate about, and that is I've founded a new business, a new startup called Digital Talent Group. And we are Australia's first registered training organisation and social media management agency all rolled into one. So what that means is... Very clever. It is. It's a clever model and I'll unpack how it all works, but we're super excited about it. And I guess if there's two arms to the business, we, we skill up and certify social media enthusiasts. That could be the youth, it yep. could be a stay-at-home mum, right through to people that own their own business. We skill them up and then we certify them in a diploma of social media marketing. And then we either hire them out under our digital talent group banner as social media subbies, or we place them within businesses mm-hmm. who are looking to do social media in-house. So a registered training organisation, and think of it like a, it's a training college, it's like a privately owned tape. So we've got an education arm to the business And then we've got the social media management arm as well. And we think it's a real great ecosystem because, as you would know, Jules, social media has become a profession, but it never started out that way. So there's a whole heap of people who think they know what they're doing in social. They might be managing the school's parent club Facebook group or they've got 10,000 likes on TikTok and all of a sudden it makes them social media specialists. And what we're saying is that we are the first social media management agency that actually has qualified, nationally recognised qualified social media managers working with us. So it's a pretty good, unique selling proposition. Then, of course, we've got the social impact arm of the organisation that I'll explain as we go through this interview. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's brilliant. So... Um, no, actually, tell me a little bit about the social impact okay, part of it so now, because my next question, to, well, I'll t- let me hang on. My next question was going to be, why did you set it up? But I think that they're intertwined. Yeah, so very why much, don't you tell us how it all works first and then why you set it up? Yeah, great, great order. OK, so we have a very strong social <laughs> impact arm of the organisation, and that is that our, our main focus has been to look after the unemployed youth, which are incredibly disadvantaged. And since COVID, it's even worse. Um, In Australia, 15% of all youth, that's about 450,000 18 to 24-year-old kids. Well, they're not kids. They're youth. They're unemployed. And now since COVID, that's spiked to 16.2%. And whilst they might be unemployed, they're incredibly talented. They're digital natives and they're misunderstood, misinterpreted, overlooked in some ways. And now because they can't go and do their casual jobs, pulling beers in a bar or serving in a cafe, they really are disadvantaged. And yet we believe that they are such a big talent that are being underutilised in Australia. So that's the social impact 
arm of our organisation that we're wanting to employ unemployed kids, youth, train them up and certify them in the diploma. We'll employ them, give them a wage, give them a, a, a nationally recognised qualification and then hire them out to get that all-important work experience. So it becomes a win-win-win. And then, of course, small business who are, might be really good at business, Jules, but have zero idea when it comes to social media. What, a, what an amazing partnership where we've got our digital natives helping our digital immigrants to prosper and, in turn, the Australian economy prospers as a result of it. It is absolutely brilliant. I have to say, I think that that is, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head because I just, you know, I, I teach PR, as you know, so I'm working with a lot of small business owners who are trying to market themselves. And believe me, heaps of people don't know how to do social yeah. media. And they just, they're all being told you should be on it, you should be on it. Freaks them out completely. They do one post a week or even less, and they kind of go, but it doesn't work. They don't understand it at all. They don't understand, you know, even the different platforms. Yeah. So I just think this is the most inspired idea. Oh, thanks, um, But tell me a little bit about why... Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, look, I just think that now COVID's really heightened all of that. You know, like, if we, if we talk about yeah. small businesses that could coast along and, uh, you know, limp through social media, and now with this massive online um, surge... I was reading a report only two days ago that said that now, since COVID, 70% of all Australians have bought something online, and yet small businesses are trying to catch up with that surge online and are floundering. Yep. So I guess there's a perfect time now for digital natives, for our youth to help. But there's a second group that I'm really um, interested in as well as a result of COVID, and that is what they're calling the pink collar recession, and that is women that have been laid off as a result of COVID mainly because they've worked in industries like travel, hospitality, education that have really seen a, a real slump in those industries. But they're also the first one to put up their hand to stay home and look after the kids because the grandparents can't now because they're in isolation. Yep. And so there's this, this new term, pink collar, as in women. Uh, in April alone, 350,000 women in Australia lost their jobs alone. And, and so I think that also social God. media is a perfect opportunity for women to potentially look at career opportunities as social media managers whilst at home and developing yeah. their skills online that, that we call that a disadvantaged group as well. So our social impact arm is very much about how can we um, shine a light on disadvantaged people in Australia, that being unemployed youth and then underemployed women. So that's to finish the social impact side of the story. You can tell I jump on my soapbox because I'm quite passionate about helping those. No, that, I love it. Mm. No, I love it. And of course, they're, they're areas that I feel very passionately about as well myself, particularly around the women. It's just interesting, actually, just as you're saying that, though, I always thought pink collar was the gay dollar. You know, they used to call it about the pink dollar. Yes. So it's interesting that it's shifted over to mums. Yes. Yeah, so now it's, well, it, they're saying pink collar because women, so it's called the pink collar recession. So it's become this, this topical word that um, globally it's women that have lost more jobs since the pandemic than men, mainly because of the industries they work in, but also because they're the first ones to put up their hand yeah. and homeschool and do things like that as well. And also we, we as, as us women in general, I think there's a lot more part-time work amongst women as well. And, of course, the part-timers were the first ones Wants that they yeah. sort of kicked out the door. When, when You know, if your business is suffering, you're going to keep on your full-timers and say goodbye to the part-timers. you got so. it. And that's why I think that so, also that women... So the next question is... 
No, I was just going to say that's why I believe. No, you that, go. Sorry. I just believe that women make great social media managers too because they're they're most social. You know, they're living on social media, like when you've seen with She's the Boss. They're very connected. Yep. Women are always sisterhood, helping each other out, and they're the kind of traits that you need to have as a social media consultant, social media manager. So I think that also is a is a partnership, a marriage mate in heaven, helping women to maybe re-transition into new career opportunities that they may not have thought of pre-COVID. Anyway, yeah, enough I love about it. me going and, and on then about I think my business. I'm, I'm at- <laughs> but I also remember um, saying to you, because I think that's really important with so many young kids that you get to the mums who are all worried. I mean, I've got an 18 year old. Yep. We're all worried about what they're going to do for part time work. Yep. And this is the perfect solution. Oh, I, I, I'm the same so, so this now leads me. Yeah, I've got a 20 year old son who's like got, yeah. got laid off because he was a casual at Big W. Um, because they, they're the people that are going and he's exactly that example of living yep. and breathing on PlayStations and social media, does it intuitively. So I'm doing it too because I'm the mother of a 20-year-old unemployed youth at the moment. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so you've told me what you're doing. Now I want the big hairy why. Hmm. What was the little light bulb moment that you had for this business? Because I know you've had other ones and we'll talk about those in a minute. But what was the light bulb moment or why? What's your big why for this business? Because you're really are passionate about it, I know. But what happened to make you so passionate about it? Well, it's interesting because that kind of has a couple of layers to it. I I, I guess initially why I was interested in starting it because I was bloody exhausted because I was trading my time for money on the speaking circuit, travelling the world, you know, pounding the platform, as they say, and I was only as good as my last speaking gig. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 13 years. And whilst it's given me a great lifestyle, it's not leverageable, it's not scalable and it's not saleable. And so I started thinking... I'm not getting any younger, I, you know, I'm, I'm over 50 now and what do I want to be when I grow up that I can have good income but also not be trading my time for money? And then I, and, and what I constantly got asked, Jules, is that I'd get off stage speaking at a conference on social media and I'd have small businesses running up to me going, I just loved everything that you shared, can you implement that? And I went, oh, no, I don't do the implementation. Yeah. I can give you the strategy. I'll come in and map out your strategy but I don't do implementation and you know, I was going to say I'm a slow learner. I'm certainly not, but a bit of a joke. It's taken me 10 years to no. realise that I'm leaving, literally leaving small business hanging out to dry because I've, I've excited them about social strategy but not given them the execution or the implementation. And so I, I guess when I turned 50, it was a real pivotal, pivotal time in my life, Jules, where I went, what do I really want to be when I grow up? And what do I want yeah. my legacy and my big why to be <laughs> when I grow up? You know, I've got a few decades ahead of me before that kicks I in. I love it. But... <laughs> and so I started thinking... <laughs> We're only halfway through our lives. That's it. Well, if, you know, if, if they can find a, you know, a cure for COVID, maybe they might find a cure for eternal health and wealth and you know, longevity and all of that. But, but we digress. So I guess when I turned 50, I went, you know, how can I... How can I leverage? But more importantly, how can I leave a legacy? And um, 50, was it was quite an emotional time for me. I wasn't prepared for it, but I also was immensely proud of, of where I've come from. And that kind of leads into why I set up Digital Talent Group. And, you know, myself, I did not come from, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. It wasn't, you know, mum and dad and the picket fence and the dog and the cat and all of that. That wasn't my life. I came from a very... A uh, working class family, but very dysfunctional. A mother with mental health issues and drug and alcohol issues, domestic violence. And I guess um, I use school as a way to express my sorrow, express my hurt, express my frustration of my family life. And so, of course, I was labelled as dysfunctional, dyslexic and 
a disruption. <laughs> There's a few Ds for you. And got told yeah. that, I, uh, that I would never really amount to anything. And so, of course, what do you do when someone tells you that? You live up to their expectation. And I, I think I've shared Well, this. you either give up or you get far in your belly. And I think in your case, it probably worked the opposite oh. way to the way they thought it would yeah. work. Yeah. You're right. I'll never forget. I think I've shared this story with you before that, you know, my year 12 economics teacher, Mr. Keat, if you're listening or one of one of your students is listening, um, he told me that the, the, the closest I'd ever come to a university would be serving chips in the cafeteria. Ugh. And so it's unbelievable that a teacher would actually say that. I, I mean, yeah. these days they'd probably get fired they for would. saying something well, like that, but would. unbelievable. Um, and so I nearly lived up to his expectations, and that is that I was flipping hamburgers and serving chips at Macca's. But um, when I um, finished school, uh, things at home were really tough for me. And so not only was I unemployed, um, I was also at one stage homeless because that was a choice I, I chose to make rather than stay in a, in a household that wasn't conducive. And so I guess my start in life back when I was 18 was was not smooth sailing, and, and it was... I was very fortunate back in 1988, there was this thing called apprenticeships and traineeships that were formed, that were the very first apprenticeship traineeships in Australia in 1988, and I had the gumption uh, to apply for one, and it was a vocational education and training um, 12-month apprenticeship that saw me working in financial services as a teller. Um, and I applied and I'd yeah. worked at Macca's flipping hamburgers and they kind of liked that I'd had that Macca's background and they saw something in me and I was one of four to be chosen. And it really, it changed my life and made me change my perception of education. I thought it was all academia and nerdy people sitting in libraries, because which I was never going to fit into. But vocational education training is very much about on the job. It's very practical. It suited my learning style and I, I really flourished in that role until, of course, it was with Pyramid Building Society for those listeners that are old enough to remember Pyramid. <laughs> I lost my savings. Yeah, well, I lost so I lost my savings and lost my job and I was the pin-up protester on the front of Parliament on the front page of the Herald Sun <laughs> protesting about save Pyramid, save our jobs. And and it was um, at that moment that a, a, a very astute businessman um, saw something in me and said, Look, you've got so much energy, imagine if you could harness it and put it into something really good rather than, you know, protesting on the steps of Agitating. And so I went and did a personal development course and, you know, between that and my vocational education traineeship, apprenticeship, it really changed my life, Jules. And that absolutely, that was back in 1988 and then by um, when I was 25, three years later, I started my first own registered training organisation. So this well, is great, my... because I was getting my next question is, tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. So you left school with no education, no education, no money, no home, no nothing. And yet look at you now with your amazing community. You're a published author. We, you didn't even meet. Well, I let's start spell. at the beginning. I was in veggie mass in English <laughs> back in those days. <laughs> All right, so let me shut up for a minute and you start telling me what happened. So so you had this opportunity to do the RTO. What went well, on what, from there? I, I guess, you know, it was interesting. I was I was diagnosed with dyslexia as a child. As it turns out, I was re-diagnosed as an entrepreneur. That was the only label they could give us wacky ones that, you know, were looking out the window and daydreaming about what life might be like rather than sitting in a classroom. And I guess what I think it was a, a combination of a really perfect storm. I'd gone and done this vocational course in 1988 
I then went and did a personal development program which unleashed, unleashed the beast in me and all of a sudden I wanted to become a motivational speaker and take over the world and, and it was interesting. Right. I was like, I was now I'm about 24 years of age and I decided that I wanted to be a motivational speaker and I, and I got approached by a not-for-profit training organisation in Geelong that said we'd love you to come and start working with us on Monday as a motivational speaker and they had me at motivational speaker. What they didn't tell me was that I would be um, training and inspiring very, very long-term unemployed and criminals as they'd come out of jail to transition back into life. Oh, whoa, that's huge. a challenge. It was like, and, and, and one of the, I'll never forget, one of the, one of the men that was in my, my six-week um, Centrelink program for ex-crims was Australia's last man that was convicted and was to be hung and then had his conviction overturned to 30 years in jail like these people were really serious hardcore crims and they were then put in my training sessions to motivate them to we'll just put you in with a 24 year old girl and see how you go (laughs) and so that was my entree into being a motivational speaker and I lasted no wonder you're so good at it (laughs) I lasted about five minutes and went I don't know that this is going to be for me long term, but it, it really gave me what I call my apprenticeship in training and education when I was 24. So at 25, this is the funniest story. So at 25, I decided that I was going to leave uh, that training not-for-profit company in Geelong and set up my own. So for those of you viewers, listeners, I should say, that are old enough to remember fax machines. Yes. Well... They're not that long ago, are they? Oh, God. They'd have to be 20 years ago, wouldn't Aren't they? Aren't they still around? Oh, I think I they're still around. I don't know. Well, have anyway. a So I've decided, I've got all the gumption in the world. I'm all of 25. I've decided I want to become my own training organisation. <clears throat> Instead of working for one, I want to be my own. So I wow. faxed off my application to the Department of Education and the next day they faxed it back and they said, you are now a tra- training organisation. And so that wow. it was that easy back in those days. I mean, now it's hundreds of thousands of dollars and years of, of, of um, compliance, which I'll tell you about. Well, when. that was because the government brought in that stupid thing where they let everyone do it and suddenly people were ripping people off it. left, right and centre and they it. pulled back and on I, it all. I guess because they let them apply through a fax machine. <laughs> anyway, so... Well, it worked in your case. So what was the business? Yeah, and so I started a, um, a, a registered training organisation, a private TAFE in back in the early 90s, um, called Pinnacle Training Solutions. And I was um, able to scale and sell that business in 2007. So I had it since the 90s. We specialised in accredited training in business and leadership. I could kind of smell that there was a going to be a GFC in about 2007 and I decided I, I didn't want to be one of those footy players that stays on for too many seasons. I was going to retire when I was on a high. And so you I, are amazing to have done that at that timing is incredible. I know because then I sell right, so I'll never forget. I sold on the twenty sixth of September two thousand and seven, and that's the year Geelong won the grand final after many many years of of um, having heartache. I'm a, as you can tell, I'm a big footy fan, and so <laughs> all of a sudden I'll never forget this as well because I'm standing here with a check, a sizable check for the sale of my business on the twenty sixth of September two thousand you know, but whereas back in 1987, I was homeless living on the streets. And so amazing! it was quite an incredible moment and Geelong won the grand final. And I remember banking this cheque and celebrating and going, oh, my God, I'm cashed up, but I'm the CEO of nothing. Now, I don't even know 
what I'm going to do now? And so then three months later, as you would know, in 2008, the GFC hit really badly. I, just, I will never forget, wasn't it Lehman Brothers who went down or yep. Bear Stearns yep. or one of those big companies? And it was like, hang on a minute, this doesn't compute. Isn't that a massive organisation? Yep. And then they all started falling all one after another. falling. And for me, it was my second GFC because I'd had my GFC in 1989 yep. when Pyramid Building Society went under. It's now 2008 yep. and here's another GFC. And I went, shit, I don't know that I want to go invest in anything at the moment. I don't know what to do. And it was someone said to me, oh, why don't you get on that thing called um, Facebook and just, like, <laughs> keep your brand current and keep your voice current, tread water until you figure out what you want to be when you grow up. And I went, what the hell is Facebook? And they went... So this is 2007. I think that yep. was the year I joined yep. as well, but it, yep. was, it was almost unknown. It was like... I mean, it, was... It, was, it was three years old, so Facebook had only been around for three years, and, of course, I jump on there and do a little song and dance and build out my brand. And next minute I get all the TV shows wanting to interview me about being this specialist. And I was helping <laughs> I was helping mums at the time, you know, return to work after a GFC and all this jazz. And I get, I'll never forget this, Jules. I don't even know if I've shared this story with you. I'll never forget. I'm sitting on the Today Show with Carl Stefanovic and Lisa Wilkinson back then. Yeah. And they said to me, oh, what do you think of social media? And I went, oh, my face is amazing. It's the best. My face? <laughs> it's the best platform ever. And they're looking at me like I'm some weirdo. And I had no clue. I, I had joined MySpace and Facebook. Face and Facebook. And called it MySpace. That's how much my face, I should say, that's how much I did not know about social media. My face, I think you called it, which I just absolutely love. Did they correct you on air no, or what did they do? They looked at me and said, <laughs> I like, said, aren't you an expert? <laughs> anyway, it was a, it was a bit funny because I re- clearly didn't know anything about social media and I decided that after that interview I was getting a lot of attention so I then started specialising in running workshops for small business on Facebook and that's where the whole social media journey started back in 2007. Right, and you wrote a book about it because yeah. that's how I met you. Someone had read your book and then you'd coach them and they said, you need to meet this woman. Yes. And so then I decided that I needed to start to leverage uh, rather than um, doing consulting and training in social media, in particular Facebook. Then I wrote a book called Facebook Friends with Benefits, which is a cheeky five-step strategy for growing your business with Facebook. And then I launched a Facebook business bootcamp, which is an e-learning program Clearly, my training background was coming from... I was going to say, you can't resist, can you? Can't. So, no. Okay, so so you were the Facebook expert and and then you started doing some serious speaking overseas. Oh, was that yeah. was this the and time or was there something in between? Yeah, no, no, no. That's exactly what happened, Jules. So that's when I started getting approached by um, bureau, speaker bureaus and, and I was not a hipster in a pair of Converse with a T-shirt and my pants hanging down near my ankles, they couldn't believe they'd found a social media speaker that was my age, that wasn't some And that looked business-like. And looked business-like. <laughs> and so they, they really saw that as an opportunity. So I then started getting some great opportunities. I've spoken, well, you name it, you know, America, India, Thailand, Fiji, New Zealand, the list goes on. And it, it's been a great gig. I have to say that I've met so many great people, businesses, learned a lot, had a wow of a time. And I basically really from 2008 through until last year, that's pretty much 80% of what I did for the last 12 years of my career. Amazing. Now, I, I would say for any of the women listening and certainly the ones that are coming to the She's the Boss luncheon that I have on the show, 
their dream, if they're not already a speaker, is to be a speaker and then to take that overseas and have that overseas lifestyle and be able to live off the money that you make from speaking. So you're one of the very few people that I know that does it. I know a couple of other women, but other than that, it's really you. So how did that even happen and how do you do it? Hard work and not relying on <laughs> everything's hard work and not relying on the speaker bureaus. Whilst they gave me a leg up and gave me a great start uh, in my speaking career, I was very, very strategic in, in every time I'd get a gig, I would always go the extra mile. I'd hang out with the organisers, I'd speak to the audience, I'd go to the gala balls. I really worked the room, so to speak. And yep. in the end, right up until last year when I stopped speaking to focus on my new business, 99% of my gigs didn't come from bureaus anymore. It came from my networks. And, and usually one gig will give you another two gigs, you know. And so, But it's right. been current. Like the thing about being on the speaking circuit is that you're yesterday's hero if you're not coming out with a new iteration. And it's very rare for a conference to hire the same speaker you know, two years in a row. So you've got to be coming up with that next keynote. What's that next trend? What's the, you know, the future looking like in order to not get kicked off the stage by some other new kid on the block? Right. So you have to be a bit of a futurist as well. Yeah. and <laughs> Just another string to your bow. Just another string to your bow. And it's, look, it's a, for those that are listening that want to get onto the circuit, it's so rewarding. It, it, it genuinely is a great ride and but it's not leveraged unless you've got an ecosystem built around it that, I mean, speaking it, I can get 10 to 15 grand for a keynote, but you're only as good as that last gig. And so if you haven't built it into some other kind of platform, it, it, it can end up being a trading. And what do, you, what do you mean by some other kind of platform? So are you talking about, you, did you sell your book? Yeah. Did you sell training at the back that's, of the room? Because that's, what that's the, yeah, well, the trick, isn't it? Yeah. Although I don't speak on public stages, so we don't kind of call it the back of the room. Corporate conferences are very highbrow, very corporate and don't like a speaker on stage um, selling, you know, flogging their wares. Yeah. Having said that, you know, if you've got a book and an e-learning or consulting or training, then that's what I would sell off the back of my keynote. Um, and so I was... And I guess when you're working with big corporates, maybe they buy the book to give to their and staff. And that's what they to, did. It's exactly what happened, kind of Jules. So I'd speak at a conference. Uh, let's say I was speaking for a bank and they would invite their banking clients to be in the audience. Then they would also include a book for everyone in the audience. So right. it became a, quite a lucrative where I might get... 10 grand for a keynote, but I could do another five in books and e-learning sales on the back of it. So, Yeah, amazing. I mean, just amazing figures. I have to say, when I first met you, I was like, imagine if you could just have that as your job. It would just be so great. Yeah, but look now, at what's happening now, I, you know, though, it's been interesting. What, it's been interesting watching what's going on in the speaker space now, thanks to COVID. And there's the those that have really pivoted and evolved and are doing a lot of online um presentations and then there's yep. the traditionalists that are fallen off the cliff never to be heard of again because they haven't then jumped on and embraced technology yes yes because I mean immediately to me as soon as COVID happened and I was speaking with a few friends of ours that are mutual friends actually that um, are speakers and they were just falling down the rabbit hole they were like my life's over it's all hopeless what am I going to do and I was going yeah oh my god get online and now you can talk to the whole world at the same time that's it that's it. You and know, there are no that are borders making so anymore. so much more money and having to do less travel than ever before. And then there's others that are making none. So, it, you know, I, I, I guess for me, it's about pivot or perish. You know, you've got no... Uh, yeah. 
absolutely, absolutely. All right, so um, along the way on your journey, are there any women that you, and, and the only reason I ask this, and I always feel like I'm putting everyone on the spot, but because this is a show, She Bosses, it's about women, um, and there are women that help us along the way who often stay, remain unsung heroes. Are there any women that you yeah. can think of that have really helped you on your journey that you would like to talk about how they helped Look, you? there's probably two in particular, and, and one is now a, a minority shareholder in my company, and in, she was – her name's Philippa Bond and, you know, would be considered global leader in behavioural science, neuroscience, and she okay. was the, she was my teacher back in – my 20s when I was this little smart ass that had a chip on my shoulder. She's the one that took me through personal development programs and I ended up studying with her for a number of years. We became incredible friends. She's not a household name, but the work that she has done globally uh, in behavioural work is phenomenal. And again, um, amazing lady, humble. You wouldn't know her as a household name, but she's influenced many, many of Australia's leading speakers and thought leaders. That um, Right. She's, yeah. Oh, well, that's a great shout out. Thank you. Yeah, so and also that she that she helped you when you were younger. Oh, absolutely. And now, um, you know, when I started um, Digital Talent Group last year, you know, she's at a stage where she's semi-retired. She's living in Byron Bay surfing and she'd spent the last 20 years pretty much in the States. And when I when I told her about what I was up to, she said, "I want to get involved. I just love yeah. your, I love your dream. I love your legacy. And here's an opportunity for me to still retire, but still have an import into education in the future. So it was a oh, it's that's a, beautiful. It's a beautiful so story that she was my. I put her on a pedestal. She's my mentor, and you know, got my big girl crush on her. And now she's my business partner. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. Girls, for anyone who's listening, you know, dream big because you never know yeah, what might happen. Yeah, and the other happen. one, Jules, would be, and you you know her, and her name's Sam Elam. Like, there's no doubt, yep. you know, Sam and I have been great friends. Again, I was a client of hers, went to her for media training back 15 years ago. We fell in love with each other and have been inseparable ever since. But um, and, and people like yourself, Jules, like, uh, what I love is it's not you know, celebrities that I look up to, like an Oprah, or, I don't know, like Ariana Huffington. It's it's those really gritty women in your life that call you on your bullshit. They hold you accountable. They rise, you know, they lift you up when you're down. And Sam... Well, there's the magic word. I mean, that to me, I mean, that's really what I want She's the Boss to do if yeah. I was to talk about my dream for it is, you know, for those of us that have done the hard yeah. yards, it's yeah. for us to pull up and lift up those ones below us and help Absolutely. them and that's fly Sam, now and that's as well. You, and it's like it's sisterhood and, and Sam and I have been incredible friends for 15 years. She's an incredible businesswoman. but She's also very generous. A very that's generous. One thing I, I, she is so generous with her contacts, with her support, yep. with her enthusiasm for what you do. I think it's, um, yeah. yeah, the special women like that for probably in every woman's life. But I do think it's important to stop and think about them every once in a while and kind of go, wow. Oh, I, I did. Actually... When, and when you ask that question, when you put it in the... You know, in organising this um, podcast, I really didn't need many seconds to think about those two women that are sitting. I, mean, yeah, I, I call them my angels sitting on my left and right shoulder. <laughs> those two ladies. Oh, brilliant! Okay, so now, often in our lives, in our business lives, we have sort of pivotal moments, like those moments that you go, "I remember thinking at that stage, I should do this," or "I had this." experience that happened to me and it sent me in another direction have you got any of those whether they are well I say in this in all of them successes or failures but actually we don't really learn from successes so I imagine there have been some challenges at times that maybe have sent you in a different direction is can you think oh, of look, something there's no like that doubt, but even you know for me to be now you know, 
today owning back owning a registered training organization again after vowing and declaring I was never going to be in that <laughs> system and I sold my company in 2007 and said you'll never see me back in this space it's too bureaucratic it's too compliance driven and I, I think I just had a moment where I just went imagine if I could combine my two loves and that is education and social media and and I, that's what made me think Imagine if I could create an agency that also had a training arm to it. And I guess through a lot of failures and through... You know, well, not failures. I actually am taking that back. They're challenges. They're not failures because they always lead to us learning something, changing well, something. you know, even just as recent as COVID, you know, I, I was in the trenches. Um, so we started the company on July 1, 2019. And on the 15th of July, which was my birthday... Last yeah. year, my 50th, uh, we uh, took possession of the registered training organisation that we'd bought off the shelf. So that was my birthday present to myself. And so Philippa and I, and I was going to walk the Camino and go and hang out in the Mediterranean and then decided that, no, I wanted to, to, to leave a legacy first. And so here we go on our merry way and we've tipped in a couple of hundred grand in starting this business. And then... COVID hits and we were like literally physically in front of investors pitching our little padushis off, Ray trying to raise 1.5 more months, not so little, but raising the... <laughs> I wasn't la- I'm, I'm just laughing at the idea of you. There you are. Yep, we're just going to, we're going to do this. And oh, it happened? was. And Jules, and we were like, lit- we were on stage in Sydney at an investors conference standing in front of a couple of thousand investors looking to raise $1.5 million in capital, had some really heavy hitters sitting in front of us ready to sign on the dotted line and then COVID hit and all shit hit the fan and they just went, we're nervous, our portfolio, we're scared to invest invest in high-risk startups and they just all pulled their money. And so we chewed through 200K in cash thinking we'll get an injection surely in the first quarter of 2020. Well, bloody COVID came and put a stop to that. And so what it meant though, Jules, is that we were only going to have the social impact arm of the organisation, but we would be, we would have gone under by now had I just been concentrating on helping unemployed kids. And so what we had to do was pivot pretty quickly and offer our um, diploma online globally. And so we're in the process of negotiating a pretty amazing deal into Indonesia in Jakarta, where now international students can no longer come to Australia to study. And we're saying, well, let us take the study to you. And so we've had to pivot, change our diploma, make it 100% online and make it applicable to international students that can't now travel because the borders are closed. So that would never have come about. I would never have offered this course to any other cohort other than unemployed kids had it not been for COVID. And we were looking down the barrel of shit, where's our next dollar coming from? And now we're doing really well on our social media management agency. We've got small businesses putting up their hands saying, help us. And we're now about to launch our very first online class on the second week of September, which we would never have done any of this had we not had COVID. So that, for me, is a pretty most current setback that has ended up being a silver lining. And the other thing is, I presume at this stage, the whole business is yours. The whole business is ours. And that's right. that you was the really interesting got... thing because we were it... looking at, the, you know, as not all VCs or high net worth individuals are vultures, but some are. And we were looking yeah. at, you know, having to give away up to 20, 25% equity for our $1.5 million. And now 
where we don't we're not going to raise capital we're going to do this organically and we get to keep yeah, retain our company so that's been a great outcome brilliant i always used to think investors were the holy grail but i think it's taken me the last couple of years to go Mm, would I like someone else telling me what to do with my own company and telling me they don't like that decision, yeah. they want me to change it? Because I don't think I would. Oh, and you and I are too headstrong to be told what to do, let's be honest. That's right. So it would have to be the right person. Okay, so let's talk about work and life. Um, because for most of us who are running our own businesses, there's a there's a very faint line that just, <laughs> that separates the two. What sort of hours do you work and how are you juggling work and having some kind of private life? Can, real honesty? <laughs> Yeah, true. Give me the truth. Probably 100 hours a week, probably 80 yeah, hour right. days. Like I'm the... So that's not leaving you anything other than sleep. So there's no real social life going on well, outside. Well, of... it's interesting though. And I think if you ask any, well, especially women entrepreneurs, like for me, I don't have a, a, a business life and a personal life. I have a life and they all intertwine yep. and I love what I'm doing. But it is unrelenting. I just, you know, I've just signed off on writing copy for my new website and I'm like oh I can sit down for five minutes oh no now you got to write the copy for the brochures and and then you'll have to do the email and then, chain and, and, then and that's have all to of that the... and so you know at the moment I am working 18 hour days 100 hours a week work um doesn't leave a lot of time left for a personal life although don't you worry life's, <laughs> life's too short You're squeezing not a bit to in. drink some bubbles and have a good time and I you know I I I'm very mindful of that. I, I do make sure that for two hours every day, doesn't matter, rain, hail or shine, I do go out and literally smell the roses for two hours. I walk every day, seven days yeah, a week. Yeah, great. And I've had to because if, if I don't, I'm going to bloody get cabin fever and not be, be producing good quality work. Go so. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I agree with you. I just think um, if you're loving what you're doing, I mean, I do try and take some time out. But really, I mean, I've spent the whole weekend probably doing 40 hours just this weekend. I know. Because when, you, when you've got to do stuff and I need landing pages and all sorts of done, well, then you just do it. And when you don't have to, you can lie on the sofa on a Wednesday afternoon if you want to. That's exactly right. Okay. And I don't know whether this is even possible. Is there one quirky fact that people don't know about you <laughs> that you could share with us? A quirky fact. I'll give you examples. I've had one person tell me they were the first person to ever do Graham Norton's red chair, which I thought was amazing. Oh, my God. I had somebody else else had won the prices right and had set up their whole um, uh, first house ever with cars and washing machines and sofas. I'm not saying it has to be like that, but I'm just wondering, you know, I've got my own little quirky fact. I don't think anyone knows I lived in Brixton Prison for a while when I lived in England because I had nowhere else to stay and I lived in the warden's flats. Are you serious? Have you got a quirky one like that? No, but I was going, I wanted to be a dancer before I grew up and then I realised I wanted to be a singer and a dancer and um, I got told I couldn't sing. And so I, I think that I was always born to be on a stage. And so I think I've, I think I make more money as a, as a keynote speaker than I would as a singer um, that's about as, I mean, God, I could get quirky. I would say undoubtedly you earn more money than people would as, as a singer unless you had become a Mariah Carey, <laughs> which if you can't sing was never going to happen. Oh, so <laughs> you made the right choice. Oh, my God. My whole life is quirky, so I don't know that I could pinpoint one. I know. I just like catching people out with that question, see if I can find something interesting. Okay, and then last but not least, and you will probably love this, um, what are the two most useful apps on your phone, not including banking and email and sort of obvious ones? Have you got anything that you love as a business tool? Well, now this is where I've got some confessions to make. This is a bit quirky. 
So okay. I, of course, I use my phone for, okay. for everything like Dropbox and emails and calendars and all of that. But <laughs> I can't even believe I'm going to share this with you. This is a bit about my life. Go on. So my son stayed at my house a couple of weeks ago and he goes, Mum, you snore. And I went, no, I don't, darling. Women don't snore. That's what men do. <laughs> no, we don't. And we don't fart either. That's the thing that men do, right? And he's yeah. like, Mom, you seriously snore? And I went, I don't. I've never snored in my life. Anyway, so I went and found this app called Snore Lab. I know Snore Lab. <laughs> so I'm obsessed now. You should right. see me because now I'm playing competitiveness with myself to get my snore score down below the national average and so all so these is it higher than the national average hang on let's just wind back tell me first what was the first <laughs> horrific fact that you realized that you do snore yeah i did realize my son has told me he's had to move bedrooms down onto the sofa because of my yes. snoring one night and i went i don't snore either I never that's hear it, it. I and so now I've, it. it was quite confronting that i realize i snore and so now i'm like doing all these new remedies. I'm gargling lemon juice. I'm having eucalyptus. I'm having honey. I've got a fan on. I'm spraying the air with peppermint. I'm trying everything to get my score down. So that's one app. And you should see me. I turn it on every night before I go to bed. And it's the first thing I can't wait to check when I wake up in the morning to see if I've... So just for anyone who doesn't know, what it does is you turn it on at night and it will record... When your snoring was and how loud it was, it's decibels or something. It goes it into well. quiet, light, loud and epic. Have you had epic yet? I've had a couple of best on grounds with my epics. <laughs> and so that... All right, I'm good. I am going to do it. I've been, I was doing it for my partner, Dave, who's a shocking snorer. Yeah. But I think maybe it's time that I tried it for myself. And have we got another one? Well, yes, I am an um, embarrassingly tragic TikTok obsessed so my little routine before I put on my Snore Lab app is that I spend a minimum of two hours every night on TikTok. Two hours? Probably three if I was to be truly honest. Oh, my God. So you're going to have to start teaching TikTok. You're going to become an expert well, at it if you're doing I'm a, two this hours is the a thing. night. This is the frustrated dancer in me and singer in me because that's all they <laughs> seem to do. And so I spend three hours a night on it and... I'm obsessed with it and it has become my daily routine and it's my dessert when I get into bed at night. It's what my have for dessert. Wow. Well, I'll tell you my secret wish and it's going to dovetail perfectly with this is I want to do one of those dance routines on TikTok yeah. where you've got to learn it first. And we, So I'll do it with you. How about that? I oh, love. I've got them down pat. I haven't done one yet, but I know them. So no, but yes. that's what I mean. My brothers have done one with their families now, the whole everyone doing the same move and it looks so good (laughs) yeah you start choreographing it and when I'm allowed to see you we'll practice it and we'll do it yeah so there's my app okay so that is fantastic thank you so much for sharing with me what a great interview you are so funny um so thank you very much Kylie if anyone wants to get hold of you what is the best way of getting hold of you these days well my business brand is digital talent group so all of my social media handles are at digital talent group I'm Kylie Bartlett mm-hmm. on LinkedIn but if you want to see where all the cool stuff happens the I guess the unfiltered it's on the web celeb which is my alter ego so if you look up at the web celeb that's my personal brand where all my cheeky naughty unfiltered and is that facebook or is that across all everything platforms, instagram facebook my website and then digital LinkedIn. talent group is is for my business okay brilliant well you are just so much fun to interview i love chatting with you so thank you so much for coming on thanks for the opportunity the she's the Jules, boss chat. And, and go she's the boss 
I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'sthebossscomau and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 